today's guest is Lynn Glodner. And Lynn is a wife, a mother, a Michigan resident. People love Michigan who live there. Uh, she did move and live somewhere else for a little while, but always back to Michigan, they seem to go. And she's an author. And I've had a lot of authors on recently. And it made me think a lot of women start writing when they get older and they tell amazing stories. And some stories are about their own lives and some are fiction, but the fiction books are often woven with some truth about things that they've experienced in their life. And so Lynn's a great example of that. She actually has two poetry books too, but she's written mostly nonfiction and she's coming out with, and it might even be out by the time this airs, her first not uh, her first fiction book. And we talked about a lot of different things. The thing that I loved about our conversation is that we talked about her life as a non-Orthodox Jewish woman becoming Orthodox and then deciding that that life wasn't for her. So she made those pivots. She made a lot of changes. She also went through a divorce, got married a second time, has a blended family, uh, so many things that I think were so interesting that you'll find very enjoyable. And you'll learn so much about the challenges that Lynn faced, the things that made her, one thing that made her scared that I think set her up for a life of risk-taking and not being so afraid of the risks uh, because she's taken some risks that a lot of people wouldn't have taken. So I think it's a great, a great story, a great interview. Uh, and I think it's inspiring, which is the kind of guests that I love to share with you. So without any further ado, let's get to the interview now. Hi, I'm Lori Wright, also known as Not Your Average Grandma. I created this podcast as a place for women in their second half of life to go to to receive inspiration. If you are at a place where you believe your best days are behind you, it is my hope one of these episodes will spark you to think differently and lead you to a new belief that your second half may actually be your best half. I want you to stop seeing your age as a limitation and start seeing it as your superpower. You have years of experience and value that the younger you never had. So it's time to lean into that and use it to fuel your future. No more letting age or circumstances hold you back from the pursuit of a more fulfilling and fun life. The happier we are, the better the world will be. So instead of settling for what you don't want, how about going after what you do want? Listen in and let something you hear prompt you to take the first step in making the rest your best. Welcome to another episode of Living Your Spark Second Half. Today's guest is Lynn Galodner. She writes emotional novels with compelling Jewish characters who are determined to fill their lives with passion, purpose, and love. And you know how I'm all about passion, purpose, and love. That is like the mission of this podcast is to help people live lives with more passion, purpose, and love. So Lynn is a perfect guest. So we're going to talk about a lot of things because she had midlife pivots, which is something I love to talk about. She's a mom of four, so she still has one at home. So one of the things, Lynn, and welcome, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Lori. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to have you here. One of the things I love is that, because I didn't do this, is that people find new passion before the nest empties. 
Yes. Because they're well prepared instead of being like going through this like horrible, devastating, oh my God, and focusing so much on what they lost. Yeah, no, you're so right about that. And I will say, I don't know if it was deliberate knowing that my kids were soon flying, leaving the nest, but I'm a serial entrepreneur. And so I just keep changing things and wanting to do more. And I just do it. I just jump in. So it's like really good timing because I'm so focused on my next chapter and my poor son who I'm so devoted to and he's doing a gap year after high school. And one of my big things after the kids are out of the nest is a lot of travel, writing sabbaticals and just going to places I haven't been for a long period of time, renting a house or an apartment and really being there. And I said something about how one of my best friends and I wanted to go somewhere next fall. And my younger son was like, well, I'm still going to be here. I'm like, yeah, but you're done with high school, so I can go. Well, maybe you can take him with you, right? I'm taking him on one of the trips, but not all. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So are you married? I'm married. Yes. It's a second marriage. And so um, how is that? You're just going to go off or is he going to come along? Because I think a lot of people limit themselves because they're afraid to do something independent and leave somebody behind. Maybe the husband doesn't want to do it, or they just want to go off. I think sometimes that independence is really good for us. So what is his take on that? So my husband's fantastic and really supportive. We're both really independent people and we have so much fun together. So we love to travel together, but he also loves his job. He's an archivist at a library and he wants to work until 65. He loves going to work. So he has a certain amount of vacation time and he will spend it with me, but he's totally fine. If I want to just take off and go, he understands. And Mm -hmm. I have the heart grow fonder. So I always love coming home to him too. Yeah. I think sometimes it's good. I would rather sometimes be with my girlfriends. <laughs> I love my husband, but there's something about girlfriends that yeah. you just can can do these, you know, more, be more crazy and more carefree and share these deep, deep things. And I find my husband always wants to fix something. So if I share something with him, he's like, well, how can we fix it? And I'm like, I don't want to fix it. I just want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually feel like, and I'm a really independent person, but I feel like when I travel alone or with girlfriends, I become the leader. And when my husband and I travel, I let him lead. And and he's really good at planning the details of our trips. I do the big picture, like we're going here, here's how we're getting there, here are the dates. Then he does all the research for hikes and little out of the way cafes and whatever. So if we take a hike, I'm like letting him lead. And then I get all nervous, like, oh, is this really hard? Oh, are we scrambling over rocks? I don't do that when I'm not with him. So there's a give and take too. Yeah, yeah. So when did you start writing books? Because you didn't start out writing books. So you had some kind of a pivot. And I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I've always been a writer. And so even when I was a kid, I wrote a lot, mostly newspapers, magazines, that kind of thing, short pieces. And I started my career as a journalist right out of college, actually in college, I was freelancing for the local paper. And but I always wanted to write books. And so I had a goal when I was in my 20s, that I would like to have my first book published by the time I was 30. And I did an MFA, Master of Fine Arts in Writing, and my master's thesis, which was a poetry manuscript, was accepted for publication in time for graduation. So I arrived to grad school, I think I was 25 for the graduation, and I had a box of books. And I was like so excited. I'm like, okay, check that off the list, but now what? So yeah, yeah, so I had two collections of poetry that were published. And then I wrote six nonfiction books that were published over the next decade or so. 
but I always wanted to do fiction and I found it to be the hardest genre back then because my writing skills, I just don't think were up to it. It's one thing to write a collection of poems. Each individual poem is short or a nonfiction book. As a journalist, I was into research and reporting and I had all the material. But fiction, you're creating worlds and characters and start to finish. And I will say, in the year 2000, I wrote a novel, it took me nine months. I gave it to five people to read, put it in a drawer, revised it five years later, same thing. I don't think it'll ever see the light of day. So I tried it many years ago. But this novel coming out at the end of September, Woman of Valor, is my first published novel. And although I started it in 2011, I didn't really write it until 2021. So I really needed that growth as a writer before I could sit with the concept and really work it through, work out all the kinks, all the plot holes and things like that. And now I feel like I've hit a groove, but it, it took until I would say my 50s to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I want to go back because I like all the backstory a lot. It's like what you did and that's all fine and good. And it sounds like you you always knew writing is something you wanted to do. Although I do understand, and because I talked to another guest once and she, I forget what writing she did. She did some different kind of writing and then she started writing novels and she said it's totally different. So I know there's, it's not the same thing. So in a way, I guess it's a little bit, but you always had that dream and I love that you pursued it. Yeah. Uh, but you said that you're in your second marriage. Yes. So- yeah. And you went to grad school. So um, did you get married young? And did you, you said you were a serial entrepreneur. So there was these little nuggets about like, I'm like, I want to hear more about that. Sure. So I'll tell you, I guess I'll start with the entrepreneur stuff. And then I'll talk about the relationships. But I started out after college, I moved to New York City. I was a journalist, I was transferred to the Washington DC, Capitol Hill Bureau of my newspaper. So I worked there for a number of years. And then I moved back to Michigan in the, the mid 90s and worked for a newspaper here. I did my graduate degree when I was in DC. And so I did it while I was working. And when I came back to Michigan, I was still single. I did not get married young, 28 when I got married the first time. But, but I came back to Michigan because I really missed the Midwest. And about two years after I moved back, I, I wasn't making much. I mean, journalists really don't make a lot as a staff reporter. And so I wanted to freelance to increase my income and my editor wouldn't let me. And so even though it was no conflict of interest, and so I, I went freelance, I quit my job. I had created a section for the magazine I was working at and I took it on contract and did it from home. And this was in the nineties, so way before Zoom. And I, and I just got other assignments and worked for other editors. And so I was a freelance journalist for 10 years. So that was the first pivot. And with my graduate degree, I was also teaching college English classes because I have a, an MFA is a terminal teaching degree. So I was doing that and bought my first house when I was 28 and I was single or 27 maybe. And then I met my first husband around then after I'd already bought the house. And we got engaged really fast and got married really fast. And I was, and this is important because it ties into Woman of Valor, but I, I've always been Jewish, but I was raised very secular. And I was playing around with the idea of becoming more religious. And that was around the time that I met my ex-husband, who um, is an Orthodox Jew. Mm. And I committed to being religious before I met him and then was all in because I married him. Now and was, I have a question. Because I I, found, I got married young and uh -huh. I was only 22, but okay. already I felt like my biological clock was ticking. Yes. So part of the reason is I wanted, and my mom was a young mom and yeah. I liked 
that she was so young. Uh, so I had my first at 23 and my second at 25. Now I think my, my, the, my reason for marrying wasn't necessarily the right reason. It was like, I want to have kids. <laughs> and well, he looks like a true. good guy to have kids with. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I'll be honest. I always wanted to be a mom, like always. But I really felt like I, I should probably marry someone to become a mom instead of doing it on my own. And, but, you know, I am a very strong, independent woman and I always have been. A lot of guys don't like that. And so in my 20s, I dated a lot of guys, had relationships, but nothing that was like the one. And so I think part of my attraction to orthodoxy was that it's very much a marriage-minded community. Yes. And and I really wanted to have kids. And in my late 20s already, I started thinking about, well, if I don't find the guy and I'm in my 30s, maybe I will have kids on my own. But I met my ex-husband and we got married, had three kids in four years. And But the marriage was really, it was never a good match. And I knew that before the wedding, but I didn't want to cancel the wedding. I really wasn't as confident as I am now even as I was 10 years later when I um, left him in orthodoxy. But yeah, I, I went through with it thinking, okay, we'll work on this together. And then boom, 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 had three kids. And so it was a struggle. And also orthodoxy, there were so many beautiful things about it, but there were also a lot of challenges that just didn't sit right with me. But as long as I was married to him, I felt it wasn't intellectually honest or fair to him to leave the observance. That was always how he'd been, just wasn't, wasn't fair. But when I decided to divorce him, we were married a total of eight years. Our kids were two, four, and six when the divorce was final. And and around that time was also when the economic downturn was happening in the United States. And I was I was a journalist and a lot of magazines were closing up shop. So that was my second pivot where I left freelance journalism and I created a marketing and public relations company at a time that tons of my friends were being laid off. There, people were out of work. The housing market was a mess, and I got divorced. <laughs> and I had three. And you had kids. that income, right, from him. So it was. Well, to be honest, he was a musician, and he's very oh. talented. But he's an Orthodox musician who doesn't perform on Friday or Saturday. So do the math. Mm-hmm. So I was yeah. sort of the breadwinner, um, and so I was a single mom of three kids and responsible for the income, creating a business. I got the house, which wasn't worth anything at that time. And I thought, oh my God. So that was a, a scary moment. But I remember thinking, let me just think about what's the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen is the business doesn't take off and I lose the house. And what would happen then? I would move in with my parents, which I didn't want at 37, but I wouldn't be on the street. And so once I realized that, I thought, okay, I can breathe and I'm going to do whatever I can to not have that happen. And the business has been so successful. So yeah, um, I I would love to get your take on this because the human brain always worst case scenario. But I love that you process that and realize it's not as bad as I'll be fine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. I have a great family. And so I was just really, at least I could have that safety net. And I know a lot of people don't. But I was really grateful that the the worst case scenario was not the worst case scenario. Yeah. And I think more people should sit down and write it out. But what they don't do, and there's this exercise that I found and I Googled it and I shared it with my students because it was so powerful, is that you have to look at the what if scenarios, like what's the best case scenario. Right, right. Because we we minimize those. We don't even consider them. Yeah. And so for you, looking back, what would have been your best case scenario? Well, that the business succeeded and I had plenty of income and could support the kids on my own and And that's what happened. In fact, 
I did so well with the business that I had to pay way more in taxes than I had budgeted for. And I freaked out about that. So <laughs> good problem yeah. to have. And you'd yeah. move on from a, a relationship that wasn't serving you. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so that was pivot number two, I guess I could say. And I met my, my current husband about a year and a half after the divorce. And he has a daughter who is a year younger than my daughter. So that's where the four kids come from. So I love oh, to say four years and not explain it. So she was little too. Yeah. Yeah. When we got married, my youngest was five and my oldest was nine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. So yeah. that's why they're so compressed. Because yes. we were talking before I hit record and I was like, wow, that's yes. a lot of kids in a short period of time. <laughs> yes. Well, I will say that having three and four years biologically was very stressful. <laughs> I was sweating for like a few years in a row. But but then Grace just folded into the mix really beautifully. And mm. we have a wonderful blended family. The kids love my husband. He calls them his kids. The siblings are true siblings. They actually just the other night went to a concert together, all four of them. And I was just like, I, I mean, I, my heart was so full. It was just amazing. Yeah, that's great when they get older. My yeah. oldest, her, she has two daughters that are, I say bookends. Uh -huh. So they're eight years apart. Uh -huh. But I know when they get to be adults right now, it's like this so far apart. But when they get, and I, we have some friends in the neighborhood and they have an eight year difference in their blended marriage. And they yeah. said the eight, the ones that are eight years apart are the closest. And that was like, oh, that makes me feel happy because they'll be, yeah, they'll be friends, but in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so then just to finish the whole cycle. So married my husband and I was still doing the marketing and PR company for a long time, but I always yearned to get back to writing. It was just always my true love. And I will say, I didn't really have the courage when I was younger to say, I'm just going to write books because everybody said, you can't make a living at this. Who's going to publish you? You know, So tenuous. And so it was on the side. So all the books that I wrote before now were labors of love. I never expected to make money at them. I, I was picked up by publishers, which really felt gratifying and validating, but I never expected to have any income. And so as I got really into marketing and PR and I, I wanted to get back to writing and my kids were getting older, I, I started to plan, how can I pivot again and not really do the marketing and PR anymore or do it a lot less and then write full time. And so I started that thought process about five years ago. And I don't know, it's been a year or two before I realized like, oh my God, I'm here. Like I did it. And so I still have a couple marketing clients just for bread and butter income, but mostly I'm teaching writing, working with authors or training authors how to market. And then I spend half of every day writing. And so that's my my true love. And yeah, I just, my plan is to write a book a year for the rest of my life and to make money at it. And I'm on that path. That's awesome. One of the things that was on your pitch sheet or whatever you call it, that I love that you said was, and, and this was like a suggestion, but I think it's a great one, is it said, write what you know uh -huh. or learn what you don't know and then write about it. So yeah. it's like share your wisdom. Yes. And and always challenge yourself to learn more. Absolutely. So so I'll tell you in Woman of Valor that absolutely is true. I it's a young woman who becomes orthodox in Judaism. And so I know that. I lived it and she loves it. And so even though I left it, I wanted to create a book where it's a choice somebody makes and stays with because we've read all the books about people leaving religion. So I wanted it to be where they stay. 
but they face challenges and how do they reconcile that? How do they continue to stay? So that was different. And then also my main character, Sally, is a runner. She's very big into running. I hate running. So that was something I didn't know that I had to do research for and make it believable. And people tell me it is, so I hope so. But that was really a, a very special part of her personality and her character. And yeah, I didn't want it to, to limit me. So did it make you want to go running? Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, thought, I've always thought it would be so nice to have a a marathon and be able to say at the 26.2 on your bumper sticker, but there is no way I would ever want to put myself through that. Well, oh, listen, I am super athletic. I swim all the time. I love to hike. I love to kayak, but I hate running. And two of my kids are big time runners. So I'm very good at cheering them on at the finish line and making space for that, buying them running shoes. Yeah, but not me. <laughs> yeah. I recently went on an e-bike adventure and that's the way to ride bikes. So that's you get awesome. a little tired, you just <laughs> zoom, zoom, zoom. Love but, it. Uh, yeah. So I have a question about your title because to me, when I hear woman of valor, it makes me think of somebody who's in the military. Oh, interesting. So what does uh, valor mean to you in that context? So there is a song in Hebrew called Woman of Valor. Eshet Chayel is what it is in Hebrew. And it is a song, a song that Orthodox husbands often sing to their wives on Friday night. And my ex-husband actually sang it to me every Friday night. So there's a double entendre there. So it's valor is strength. And so I wanted this to be a strong Orthodox woman who, despite embracing the, the divided gender roles and the the rigidity of the community is still a strong, independent woman. And also there's, for anybody who is Jewish, they might notice like Woman of Valor. Oh yeah, there's that whole song and whatever, even if they don't know it. So yeah. that's why I chose it. Yeah. But one of the things I you said that I liked is that it's about a Jewish woman, but yes. it's really a great way to learn about the Jewish religion. Yes. Yeah. So and I don't know much about the Jewish religion. So yeah. I know. So tell me, and maybe we'll educate my listeners sure. who, who are like me, maybe and a little ignorant. What is the difference between a secular and an Orthodox Jewish person? Yeah. So there's all kinds of denominations within Judaism. And the most, I guess, liberal is reform. And that's what I grew up. And then it sort of goes on a like a scale of more more conservative or more observant or whatever. Orthodox would be the most religious and it's really sticking to the letter of the law, not driving on the Sabbath, which is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, only eating kosher food. There are um, modesty requirements, especially for women. So covering your knees, your elbows, your clavicle, usually in skirts, uh, married women cover their hair, all kinds of things like that. And so really studying the text and living as faithfully to it as you can. There's a, a denomination between the two called conservative. So that's what I am now. That's the, the type of synagogue I belong to. But I like to say I'm just Jewish because I feel like I take from each denomination and I also reject from each denomination. So having been through all of them, I, I sort of do it my own way. Yeah. Well, I like that. I like that you've kind of custom built. Yes. And, and that you can do that. Yeah. In this yeah. day and age, I, I love that. And so I take it your husband is Jewish. Yes. Yep. So, yeah. Because I, I always find it and I know that people do this and do it successfully and, and kids who are 
raised with a, a Jewish and a non-Jewish parent, they yeah. kind of get the best of both worlds when it comes to holidays, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And it's funny. Um, ironically, my ex-husband's birthday is Christmas. And so this Orthodox ex-husband, <laughs> that's his birthday. But but yeah, we have a very warm and nourishing Jewish home. I've always taught my kids that religion's a very personal and individual thing. And nobody can dictate for you how you should observe. And so they're all figuring it out on their own and what's meaningful to them. And But they still come for Shabbat dinner, which is the Sabbath, and do things with us, even if they don't necessarily observe that way at this point in their lives. And it's fun to see how they find meaning. I love, too, that you're okay with that. Well, they have to live it. I don't have to live their lives. They have to live their choices. And so I just feel like, how could I dictate to them what they should and shouldn't do in the in the privacy of their homes? Yeah. It's really got to mean something to them. And it's a big... It's a big deal to live a religious life. There's a lot of moving parts. And if it doesn't resonate with you, how could you do it? I just don't know. And so many parents, I think, try to push something on their kids and that pushes them away. Right. Exactly. I think you can be the best role model. And one day they'll be, you know, I want to be like my mom mom and and, and my dad and and what they showed me and modeled for me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So what, because you exude a lot of energy. I get a lot of great energy from you. Thank so you. tell and and you're 52, you said. Yep. So what do you think about this whole aging thing? My father, who I lost three and a half years ago, and we were super close. He always said, it's better than the alternative. And that's true. So I just remember that as I say, oh, maybe my hair is thinner or my waist is thicker or whatever's happening. I'm like, well, it's better than the alternative. And I have a lot of energy. I have a good life. I'm really grateful for it. And I just, I'm glad I have lots of years to, to keep going and hope I continue to. Yeah. So I just feel like, why lament it? I mean, you yeah, know, it, it seems like you have a lot of other things to focus on. Yeah. I mean, if we have the privilege of growing older, shouldn't we embrace it and just make it the most? So I'm still going to swim. I'm still going to hike. I'm going to, I did buy hiking poles this year and I'm not embarrassed to use them. Even if everybody goes for, I'm like, tr- like, I understand when you get older, they like help you from falling, but what well, are the- I will say I have been on some paths that are slippery, like muddy, or maybe there's rocks and you just, you might lose your footing. And so the poles help to study you. And I will say in my defense, when I, and they, I keep them in the trunk of my car. So if we just hop out to do a hike, they're coming with me. But in my defense, I was listening to the audiobook by Sam Hewen, who is the actor who plays Jamie in Outlander. And he's a decade younger than me and like really into fitness, like super, super fit. And he, this book that he wrote was about hiking the West Highland Way in Scotland. And he was lamenting these hiking poles when the guy at the store told him to buy them. And then he ended up throwing out everything else he bought, but he kept the poles and said they were the best things he ever bought. And I'm like, yes, thank you. So not just an old lady like me, but somebody younger who's even more fit and is like, yes, they're just really studying. And so I feel like just do it your way and Mm -hmm. live the life you want to love, really. Yeah, I would think going uphill, it could help to like, oh, a little little leaning on that. But just thinking about it, I'm thinking you could like clear sticker bushes with them. Yep. You could stab a bear if you got that (laughs) close. If the bear is that close, I'm not sure that's going to work. Well, you're supposed to freeze and not run from a bear. So I'm thinking if I had to do that, 
I'd, it would be nice to have something that you felt like you could defend yourself with. <laughs> but beer be spray is good too, I guess. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that's great. Uh, yeah. So as we wrap up, I I would like to ask you a couple questions. Please. So what advice would you, would the 52-year-old you mm-hmm. give to the 22-year-old you, which could be like, the people who are listening, yeah, maybe it's advice you could give your kids. Not that they'll take it, but. <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe not. But I, I think I would say give writing a try. I, I teach a class now called Finding Your Voice. And it used to be Finding Your Voice at Midlife. And then I got people from 30 to 80. So I just said Finding Your Voice. And what I hear again and again, which I really connect with, is I always wanted to write, but. And it was like, they fill in like either somebody told me I couldn't, it was a hobby or I I couldn't make any money at it or whatever. And they just have that yearning and they finally get to midlife and say, it's time. I want to do what I've always wanted to do. So I think I would say to my younger self, just do it. Just, just if you want to write, figure out a way to do it. And there's no reason you can't write books and make money at it and be the next big thing. Because I just didn't believe that, that that was possible. That was like, New York Times bestseller, I don't know. And I may never be that. But if you don't write the books and you don't try, you don't have a chance. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I've heard from a couple people recently who have written memoirs. And I'm like, how did you remember all that stuff? And they said, <laughs> I journaled. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's a, a great idea. If yeah. anybody wants to start writing is just like start writing about your life and your feelings. Yeah, because you, it could be useful later when you go to write something that might be a memoir. Absolutely. A story that and like you said, your book has a lot of parallels to your life, although some differences. Yeah. And th- there's stuff that you could have found in journals that a lot of detail yeah. that you could use and in, in even not in even fiction. Yes. Right. So yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Love that. What and you've done some scary things in your life, uh, <laughs> but it seems like you weren't scared at all. But most people be scared when they, number one, leave their job that's secure because they're getting an income and yep. leave their husband mm-hmm. and being a single mom of three uh, mm-hmm. for that, <laughs> choose that path. What is this? So if those weren't scary, you, maybe <laughs> there's something else that was, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And why was it scary? Well, I have taken a lot of risks and starting <clears throat> businesses is definitely something that is scary. And when my dad, my dad was always my biggest business advisor. And so I'd call him when I was in a panic and he would say very practical things like do the work in front of you and you'll always have work. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And it's true. And living in the moment, I think helps me to not be scared of things. But I don't know, what what have I done that's scary? I'll tell you, the scariest thing, and you're probably going to laugh, but it was when I was in college and I went to I went I went to study abroad with a, a program and I decided to go I was in Italy and I decided to go on my own. It was the first time I really traveled alone. And I now I do it all the time, but I went to Milan by train, stayed in a hotel by myself. And this is before the days of like apps that can help you find the hotels and read reviews and whatever. Yeah, we had maps. Remember those things? Yes. Like, oh my God. Like paper maps. (laughs) Right. Right. And I, and you can't, you don't have GPS. I don't know how I did what I did, but I remember I bought a ticket to La Scala, which is a big 
theater in Milan and I went to see a ballet and skipped out on a class that was part of my program. My professor was totally cool with it. And I, I went and I was walking back late at night in Milan, Italy by myself from the show to the hotel and I took a wrong turn and I was freaking out because I, I grew up in Detroit, which is a beautiful city now, but was not so safe in the 80s. And I just was like, what if I never find my way back? What if I, what if, what if, all the what ifs? Somehow I found my way back, but like there was no way that anybody could help me or that I knew anybody or like, I really just didn't know. And that was and you didn't speak the language. So like, right? right. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to communicate when you're in a different yeah. country. Yeah. So that was really, really scary. And then I got back to the hotel and thought, thank God I made it. And I don't know how I did, but it also taught me that I can depend on myself and I can be scrappy. And like I said, I travel all the time by myself now and I absolutely love it. And there are scary moments, but it's also a thrill. And I just, I figure it out. Yeah. I bet. What came up for me when you were talking about that is because you did something so young that was so scary, it probably helped you not be so scared about other things because it turned out all so great. It was probably one of the best experiences of your life. It was. It taught me a lot of independence and a lot of important lessons. And, and Lori, I'll tell you something else. Like being at this age, one of the things that I've learned is that if something truly scares me, I don't always have to face that fear. Like, it's okay to say, nope, I'm not going to do this. Whereas I don't know that I would have done that before. So for example, I love to hike, but I get to a certain height on a mountain and I start to shake and I get really nervous about the height and there's no logic to it. And there's no physical reason for me not to continue, but I just, I get to a certain height. I always want to go to the summit and I never make it to the summit and I've tried to push through it. And then I think, you know what? It's okay if I don't. It's okay if I hike two thirds of the way up the mountain and have a beautiful view and then hike down. So I think it's also about like realizing what fears we want to break through and what fears can we live with too. Yeah. What meaning do you want to make yeah. it when you say I didn't make it to the summit? Yeah. yeah. How about you? You made it two thirds of the way. Yes. Yes. You, you didn't make it one third of the way. You you didn't stay at the bottom of the mountain. You know, right. it's reframing that is that's yes. terrific. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Such a beautiful conversation. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Yeah. The lesson I would like to leave you, the listener, with is that the more uncomfortable things you do, the more comfortable the uncomfortable becomes. Absolutely. Yeah. Get out there. I challenge you, the listener, to find something scary and do it. Let Lynn be an example. Yeah, well, it's no longer scary to start a business for me. I've done it several times. And so it's just like, let's jump in. And so you're right. The more you do something, the more you can do. Yeah. And there's so much that's free Yeah, to learn Yes, online. It's super easy. So yes, thank you so much for spending the time with me. Oh, thanks, Lori. I really appreciate the conversation. Yeah. And good luck with your book. Thank you Put so all much. all that in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the Living Your Spark second half podcast. If you'd like to watch my guest interviews, you can find the video version of this podcast on my Not Your Average Grandma YouTube channel. Also, you can check out what I have going on at the moment by going to my website at notyouraveragegrandma.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at notyouraveragegrandma. 
If you like this episode, please mention it to a friend and don't forget to leave a review so I know the topics you like best and can bring you more of that content in upcoming episodes. Last but not least, remember to always listen to that inner voice that will never steer you wrong and make living from the most sparked place possible your biggest priority. When we do that, we make the world a better place.